0: assalamu alaikum everybody Rahim. welcome to another amazing um saturday session day eight right of surah nisa so um this has been an incredible journey um we're i think starting at verse 101 or we left off at verse 101 last time so i am so excited to continue because every single halakha is just so so deep and rich with meaning it's incredible um, and once again <laughs> i have to highlight the incredible hutva yesterday um which again it's like it just never it just gets better and better and yesterday's was particularly amazing because it focused on something just so basic but so important that often is left unsaid and it's the idea of trust and the and belief you know iman like if you're iman you say you're a believer then that implies that you have a level of trust that you trust what god is telling you and that you trust that the things that you know god says or that you know what we know about god is actually true and we never actually take a moment to really think about the implication of that and what that means if we genuinely truly trust um and it was such a powerful chutba it's one of these kinds of things where um you know sheik has a really amazing ability to tell you things like point out things that are hidden in sight, in, in plain sight right that you never really think about But when you actually look at them and you think about them, you recognize how profound they are. And something as simple as, you know, if you say you're a believer, then that means that you really should trust what God tells you. But oftentimes it's clear when you start thinking about it that maybe I don't really act in a way that would engender trust or would communicate that I truly, truly trust. And so it's such a powerful... (laughs) question um that calls each and every one of us to turn internally you know look inward and, and ask ourselves is this do we actually trust and what does that mean and what do we do um, so it's um that was incredible and also um you know there at the at the in the second khutbah um you know he actually addressed a question that i got recently um and we actually hear this you know a lot of times sometimes people will say Ah, you know this this sheikh he just stands up and he just complains and talks about all the things that are wrong, and you know oftentimes will leave us feeling sort of depressed or you know down, not really quite knowing what to do, um, as if you know the the implication is it's in our personal hands to change the world, which you know obviously we can only do so much, but he sort of addressed that question in a very powerful way, um, and what you know um, what we should and can do about our own um intention and our own desire um and you know how god really understands the truth of what's within us and if we are worthy of changing what's in within us um then maybe god will you know help us so but if we're going to continue to deny or not want to listen to what's wrong with us or what's you know what is hard to hear about our community um, if we want to pretend that things are all okay, um, then we're really lying to ourselves, and to the world, and to God ultimately. And so, you know, there there's some really powerful questions that Sheikh poses in the khutbah. Um And so, this was truly um, a, a, a mind twister, and um, something that I think it just really requires a lot of, of reflection. Um, So he answers, you know, I think the thing that I wanted to say generally is, you know, we oftentimes get this question, like, what are we supposed to do? You know, like a lot of times we get hopeless and we talk about all the things that are wrong with the Muslim community. Um, And this actually, you know, it's like Sheikh actually tells us, he answers these questions. Because here we are talking about, one, understanding, you know, what is our relationship with God? Do we trust? How does that impact how we act in the world at large? And then what do we know about the world how do we engage it how is our level of education you know do we know our tradition are we you know being true to what our tradition calls us for and then when we are told you know like in these educational hutba sessions because i really can consider them sort of like your weekly education lecture that tells you about the world because you know like we learned about things that i've never heard of before trust indexes um you know like um, a non-profit um, grant that you can apply for for millions of dollars to preserve you know if you think that you're under attack these are things that Muslims need and if you don't if you didn't listen to the khutbah please do you'll understand what I'm talking about but things that you're just not aware of um, and then it's and then it ultimately comes back to like okay you know change what's in your heart so we can start to change ourselves so that God can help us change everything it's like people want to know what do we do what do we do what do we do and Sheikh is answering that question. A lot of times, we don't really want to hear the answer. Maybe we don't want to put it all together. Maybe we realize that it's harder than it actually, you know, than just like sitting and wishing that things are going to be better. But I, all the answers are here, um, and so that I think really um, hit home hard with me yesterday. Um, and so it's it's difficult to hear sometimes, but it ultimately very liberating. And so I really uh, want to encourage you guys to watch it, read the summary. Um, and um, you know, and reflect, inshallah and, and pray for Sheikh because I feel like you can't really get these answers anywhere else, and it's it's a really um, it's really encouraging. You know, it's a it's a really comforting thing when you even hear the truth that's difficult to hear, but you feel it's true, and, and there's, there's a, a beauty and a cleansing in that. Um, secondly, I just wanted to um, call your attention to uh, you know, last week when we were here, I mentioned that I was going to be having a conversation with my friend Cameron Lee. Um, who has been fighting cancer since 2016, and we actually did have the conversation last Sunday. Um, it's up now on YouTube, and it was a really, really powerful conversation. I felt very grateful that, you know, even though Cameron, um, he's 38 years old, he um, has had um, cancer um, in the, he had cancer in colon cancer, stage three. Um, he was diagnosed with that back in 2016, had chemo, um, was declared to be in remission, and then the cancer came back and it spread to other parts of his body. And then recently he got the um, diagnosis or the, you know, um, he was told that he pretty much had about a month to live, um, maybe a little bit more. Um, So, you know, I was really grateful when he agreed to just have a conversation about just life and death and and things like that. And so it was really amazing. Um, And the thing is, it's, you know, these things are hard to Hard to watch because certainly it's you know hard to be reminded, but I think um, they're also very powerful. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to just you know in case people really don't have the time to watch, one of the things that was really amazing um, that tied yeah. back to what we're learning here, is he actually shared um, a dream that he had um, of of his death and um, what it was like for you know the angels to literally pull the soul out of his body. But also with that, something that we covered in Surah El Jathia, which was the second surah that we did in the Project Illumin series, which is where we learned about this idea of, you know, when your your hands um, or, or your body will testify against you um, on the final day. Um, you know, oftentimes we sort of feel like, oh, you know, like what your hands and your feet are gonna like develop lips and you know testify against you will know. So what we learned from Surah Jathia is it's like you on the final day will see your actions, your sins, the, th- the things that you um, committed that were you know bad, and also the things that you did that were good, um, and that these are the things that you would be held accountable for. And SubhanAllah, in, in his dream, he actually um, had that experience where it was like the angels were walking with him, and he ex- described it as a museum, where he had to you know, witness his own misdeeds. So it's a really powerful discussion um, that, you know, um, you know, for all those of us, I think, who have been learning, you know, all of this that we've been learning in the Quran, it, it was an amazing sort of like, oh my God, that's exactly what we what we learned. So, I mean, if for nothing else, I think these conversations um, are a really stark reminder of what's important and help you give, you know, give you perspective on how precious life is, how meaningful life is, and ultimately, you know, how, how short of a time we have on this earth. And, you know, it's a, it's a really beautiful, um, reminder to make make your time count and you know think about your legacy that you're going to leave behind and so that's i was very grateful to have that opportunity to to talk with cameron um and again i you know i'm really grateful he he was not feeling well and he was tired but he you know was he was really articulate and smart and if nothing else i mean i i thought at the very beginning i read the very first email that he sent us and also Sheikh's response and that was um, really powerful so if you don't really have time to watch the whole thing which was over an hour even if you just watch the first 10 minutes it, that was um, an incredible education in itself so highly encourage you to do that and then last thing is um, in terms of heavy events we have one more event coming a week from tomorrow March 20th Sunday um, from four to six in the afternoon it's a zoom conversation it's a Q&A sorry sorry it's not tomorrow a week from tomorrow sorry, a week from tomorrow, March 20th, um, at four o'clock, and um, it's gonna be on Zoom, and so we are gonna be covering, um, I think, some really important questions that have to do with um, spiritual and sexual abuse at the hands of religious authority, um, what we as individuals and as a community um, you know, are responsible for, what we should do, how we can be proactive to help people, help victims, what's our responsibility in terms of speaking out, um, you know, and, and I think um, a lot of people have a lot of these same questions. There's a lot of confusion and so hopefully we can dispel a lot of these myths and so um, I really encourage you to join. If you can't join the live stream as, as always we will record it and so you can watch it after afterwards as well. So a lot of really great stuff happening. Alhamdulillah. I, I'm so grateful that, you know, this. Um, we, we cover a lot of topics that are difficult but I feel like these are the things that are really important that make a difference and, um, and you know, that you really can't find in a lot of other Muslim spaces. So I hope that you will, you will share it with your friends, and inshallah, I'm looking forward to another amazing session tonight with Surah El-Nisa. Thank you for joining us. Okay, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Just a very quick appeal that I forgot to make. Um, I'm wondering if anyone lives anywhere near Sterling, Virginia, and has a sweet dog. Um, from my conversation with Cameron over the years, he's always wished he could have a dog. And um, there's nothing that would, I think, make... He, he didn't ask for this, but I thought it would be really wonderful if someone um, knew anyone or um, lives somewhere near Sterling, Virginia and might be willing to just bring a dog over for a visit. So that I think it would mean a lot. Um, we actually... Um, I had um, some help in trying to track down whether it would be possible to find a therapy dog, but unfortunately because of insurance reasons, um, the you know therapy dogs cannot... Visit people at home. So now we're kind of left with the idea: of, if anyone has, you know, a wonderful dog and would like to earn some hasanat, um, please get in contact with me. I think it would it would really be be special. So thank you so much.
1: Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim Subhanallah, al Rabbil Rabbi al-alamin. Wa sallatu wa ala Muhammad wa ala ali wa ashabih wa mittaboh bihsan ila yoomi din. Um, we sorry for the the delay the we, there were some technical difficulties or something like that. Okay, Ms. Um, it is important to remember that Surah al-Nisa in, in so many ways it's demonstrative ethics because the entire Surah walks us through on the one hand historical incidentals so on the one hand it it is talking about Actual historical challenges that confronted the Muslim Ummah at the time, but the way that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala uh, deals with these challenges and addresses these challenges demonstrates ethical points. And as we saw in our journey, that we even get to the point where several foundational principles are laid out in the context of addressing historical incidentals the sanctity of life and the absolute prohibition against a Muslim killing another, and the severe consequences of taking this lightly. And at the same time, as we saw, that even when it comes to dealing with those who are antagonistic to the Muslim nation, even when it comes to dealing with non-Muslims, the warning not to take that peace is a gift, and the, the in, in, one having an intention of peaceful relations with Muslims is a blessing from Allah and not to take that lightly. And then as we saw, this then leads to, again, this duality of a historical incidental, his, historical context, the context of people who Converted to Islam, but were not strong enough to make the decision that is mandated of them. But the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deals with this results in a penultimate, again, foundational principle about disempowerment. And about the the very purpose of what causes you must commit yourself to vindicate that the 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 warfare its just cause is to remove the condition of disempowerment, to remove the condition of istid'af. You know, the later Muslims, especially in, you know in the modern age, who took this and and matched it or wedded it to liberation theology. It's it's very logical. I mean, because it it, it is in modern parlance a very, very much a liberation theology type discourse. But at the same time, the issue of disempowerment is not just dealt with as the external aspect of disempowerment, but also the internal aspect of disempowerment. To what extent are you complicit in your own disempowerment. And th- this is, I mean, to, if, if you read this as a technocrat, as someone who is interpreting positive law, you miss the larger ethical point. Because the, the, the myopic positivistic, legalistic approach would simply ask the question of well if i am oppressed can i travel and if i and, and the only question becomes you know the technicalities of can i escape my my oppression by relocating elsewhere but the larger ethical point is all the ways that you aren't complicit in your own disempowerment. So when we find that Sufis, for instance, read the same text, and of course Sufis are, are not so interested in, in the aspect of political disempowerment, but they, they, the way that they take this, this entire narrative is as, you know, whether you perform internal hijrah, whether you, you, you can migrate with your soul towards the, Allah's sovereignty, towards the uh, pastures of the divine, rather than remain locked in you. They come closer to the spirit not saying that they, are, that they, they, they fulfilled the, the, the spirit, but they come closer to the spirit because the, clearly the, the demonstrative treatment of the historical example is to pose the question that all of us are obligated to ask ourselves, in what ways are we complicit in our own disempowerment, in our own state of oppression. And it bears emphasis that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then notes, وسعة, that migration, that sacrifice, the resistance, to resisting your own complicity in your own disempowerment or seeking to throw off the shackles of disempowerment the muragam is as we noted last halaqah is a a difficulty and loneliness and the expectation and, and again you know if you take the sufi discourses they often talk about how the when when you commit yourself to migrate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that it is it is a road that no one can accompany you in that it, it is a, a, a truly a a, a, um, a journey that you you and you alone can take but again beyond the the the, the sufi tendency to take everything as a, as a as a form of spiritual liberation the understanding which if you i mean if it's remarkable that again the the quran is dealing with historical challenges And if you understand reform in history, change in history, the way that reform and change occur in history, it is instigated in in, in so many examples. Reform is always instigated by individuals who go against the grain and who in fact pursue very lonely roads. It is as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling you, expect challenges and difficulties and expect loneliness. And of course Allah's ease is mixed in with the challenges The purification of intentionality is core to this entire thing, because if as long as your intent is in the right place, then all the difficulties, all the challenges, all that you had, is worth it. It is directed, anchored correctly. Okay. So all of this is just a, a recap. Now remarkably after we 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 get this revolutionary statement about the the fact that one can be a Muslim and still be one can convert to Islam and can still exist and allow himself or herself to exist in an unethical, um, in an unethical, to, to allow themselves to persist in an unethical existence. And the, the demand that you resist Istadaf and that you reject Istadaf what does it go on to talk about right after that and the answer is if, as it narrows in on microdynamics of what to do at a micro level when you are confronted with practical difficulties in pursuit of this larger cause so واذا ضربتم في الارض فليس عليكم جناح ان تقصروا من الصَّلَاةِ ان خفتم ان يفتنكم الذين كفروا ان الكافرين كانوا لكم عدوا مبينا وإذا كنت فيهم فأقمت لهم فلتقم منهم معك اسلحتهم فاذا So here's this is from 101 to 102 um, to, um 103 first the, the 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 practical ruling about shortening prayer kotsar for salah, in case of fear or um uh in in a state of war where you are afraid of the enemy and the very micro level pragmatic advice to put it bluntly it's like saying you know, and the advice here is very common sense. Use your common sense. Don't use the excuse of of religious doctrine to justify dogmatic behavior. So don't all go pray at one time and render yourself vulnerable before your enemy. And even, it it offers this very practical pragmatic advice that when you pray uh, you know a group stands guard and a group prays and when you pray don't put your weapons down pray with your weapons if you pause at this and you think so how did we get from the high ethical advice or the this this broader moral principle, to dealing with this very micro-level, pragmatic uh, details of the do's and don'ts. And again, if, if you only pay attention to the positivistic legalistic aspects of this. And so you read the, these ayat and you say, oh, well, okay, so it's telling me that I can do qasr uh, when, in a state of jihad when there is fear, and then it's saying that, you know, a group stands guard and a group prays. You, you can render all of this into just simple positivistic rules. But I think you would miss the point. It's like saying Allah is fully aware that these larger moral causes cannot be approached unless you navigate through a whole set of practical challenges. And for me, as I, these ayat, because what they say, on the one hand, is very practical, and even common sense, but for me, it is like giving you, not license, but ordering you to use your common sense in pursuit of the larger cause. So, you know, don't use, it's like, don't perform your prayers stupidly. Don't perform your prayers in a way that would ultimately contribute to victimizing you or turning you into victims, to contribute in your own disempowerment. The larger point that you get from this, it is not about a group praise carrying its weapons and a group watches. It is about the technicalities of the law should never be an excuse for defeating the larger cause. You don't just simply say, well, you know, right now we are going through a state of darura, so just forget the technicalities. So forget all the micro demands. You don't do that. You don't take that lightly. But at the same time, you are duty bound to think very carefully about how the legal commands, the positive law, must be yielded in a way that, is, that maximizes service for the objectives. If you read the earliest texts on Usul al Fiqh, for instance, of course, the obvious example is a Risala by Shafi'i, it is clear that the people who dealt and thought through the principles of Usul al Fiqh were in fact executing but within the epistemology of their time, within the logic and systems of knowledge of their time, the way that they understood the ethical dynamics of the Quranic texts to work out. We don't do that because we don't read the Quran that closely. We don't develop a relationship with the Quran that is intimate and that close. And and take the the Qur'an as, as an integral, coherent text in its entirety. Now, so that is the pragmatic aspect. But what is also noteworthy here and what deserves a bit of a pause? This is one or three. فَإِذَا إِنَّ كَانَتْ عَلَى كِتَابًا مَوْقُوتًا After the 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 legalistic solutions or navigating through the technicalities in order to think through what the threats are and how I can respond to these threats while not further disempowering myself, while not making myself vulnerable. What is the advice that Allah gives us. Allah anchors this in a larger principle. The remembrance of Allah standing or sitting or lying down, the that oh that in if if this is a ca- if this is a struggle in Allah's cause, then for someone to wage a jihad in Allah's cause, they cannot be thinking about the spoils of war. They cannot be thinking about the prestige. They cannot be thinking about the or the remembrance of Allah. And remember that Allah is the is the ultimate shahid, is the ultimate witness. And Allah knows, if as a people, when you claim your jihad, you proclaim it in terms of ideological principles, but your spirit is empty of the divine, or in fact, your spirit is full of the divine. And so... And not, not a lot of people posit this. That it 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 sort of tells you once you figure out the technicalities. Remember that all of this, these technicalities, are 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 not their own purpose. The purpose is the constant remembrance of Allah in every state of being, regardless of the technicalities. It's not about you know, whether you're standing up or you're lying down or you're sitting or you're doing qasr or you're watching the people who are praying or you're standing guard or you're... It is the, that you are consistently exist with Allah. And again emphasizing and if the exceptional exigent circumstance ends, Restore, again, so That this relationship with Allah through dhikr and prayer is so essential that Allah's advice about, okay, so what, we, what do we do when we're done praying under exigent circumstances? The answer is, well, do prayer under normal circumstances. Allah couldn't have emphasized the critical importance of being in a state of prayer and being in a state of zikr with Allah constantly. It's, this is a little bit of a digression, but not a major digression. If we are truly, how do I put this? A pristine state of Iman is that you are in a state of tranquility and serenity with the remembrance of Allah. Now, so I remember Allah, whether I do it in the form of iqamat as-salah, I'm actually praying rak'at, or I'm state of zikr, and I would feel fulfilled, and I would feel that my loneliness is not just manageable, but could even become pleasurable. Why? Because I'm accompanied by Allah. My companion is Allah. Moreover, in a state of dhikr and prayer, the earthly difficulties and challenges and challenges do not become overwhelming because again your constant safe zone or zones of safety is your being accompanied by the divine. When do we sin? We don't normally sin when we are in a state of zikr. We sin when the dhikr is silenced. So even if, even if, uh, I read (coughs) a horrible story yesterday about in in Pakistan, a Quran teacher who sexually assaults a girl and murders her. Although this is a Quran teacher, but ask yourself this question. How long did the state of zikr end with this man before he was capable, as a Qur'an teacher, to rape a girl and, and murder her? This, this man, although Qur'an teacher, it is absolutely for certain that zikr had been silenced in this man's heart and mind for a very long time. Silence for such a long time that shaitan came and inhabited and filled the space, as Surat Nisa will tell us in a second. So, when we commit all types of sins, when we commit ghaiba, as Surat Nisa talks about, we, 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 uh, uh, we find ourselves drawn to talking about people, slandering people. When we are filled with anger or resentment about this person or that person, when we experience jealousy towards this person or that person, when we find ourselves pulled to things like in our modern age, pornography, and that whole thing, it is is not because you are fulfilled with zikr, but it is because either you no longer, or for periods of time, no longer the zikr doesn't resonate within you, or you've silenced the zikr long enough to commit the sin. So, when Allah reminds us in this, in this, what happens under the exigencies of war, confronted with violence and hardship and pain and ugliness, zikr is often silenced within people. Zikr is often silenced. And that is why Allah underscores that it is in fact when you are confronted with these situations where you are truly challenged, when there, are ex- there is extreme hardship, this is the time where you need the zikr the most. This is a, a, a really important concept that we don't we don't raise our I mean generations of Muslims have not been raised on this the, the closer you find company and comfort and serenity in Allah's zikr, the the more you fill the space of your spirit with Allah's zikr, the less you will have the space for other things. Unbecoming things. Things that are not worthy of you as a human being. The more your heart is emptied of zikr, the more these things will creep in. Whether you want it or not, they they, they literally creep in like like um, um, like an abandoned home becomes full of dust and cobwebs. I mean, it, it's it just is, and it is not. It is not. Um, no one is born. Because we've been given an intellect, we're not like animals and plants who are constantly supplicating Allah, but we just don't understand their supplication. Human beings, because they've been given an intellect and they've been given a choice, whether zikr, in fact, gives you that type of companionship depends on the sum total of decisions you make in life. I mean, this is a silly example, but no one is born knowing how to play video games. How good you are in video games depends on how much you invest in it. And same thing with zikr. And I'm not saying, you know, it doesn't need to be an official uh, word. It doesn't need to be an official zikr cycle. But it is, if you will notice, if you are actually conscious of yourself, you will notice that you every time before you commit a sin you silence dhikrullah inside of yourself you silence it long enough to commit your sin if you are intent on not sinning then it is enough for you to say i commit myself to not silence Zikrullah inside of myself, for whatever the excuse. And you see the results. You'll see the difference it makes. Um, 104 is a ayah <laughs> that uh, is often cited and had an enormous influence on Islamic culture. Um, you just wish that Muslims would actually remember it more often. So, um, so Muhammad, as it says, and be not faint of heart when you seek out the enemy host. Okay, so that's clear enough, right? wa itha kunu itha kunu ta'lamun fa innahum ya'lamun kama ta'lamun wa tarjun min Allah ma la yarjun wa kana Allah aliman hakima um so if you suffer pain keep in mind remember that they suffer pain as you suffer pain but and you however hope to receive from God, what they cannot hope to receive from God. This is the, the this goes to the very psychology of jihad. Why do I say it? it plays a, ro- a big role in Islam in in, in Islamic culture. As you know, often struggles, it's a matter of perseverance and who is willing to persevere the most when confronted with sacrifices. And to, in fact, internalize and remember that if you just focus on your own sacrifices and what the, your own pains and ignore the fact that all struggles, including an unequal war like the one that Muslims were leading. Because a, a, a big part of what confronted, the challenges that confronted Muslims in Medina Is sort of the the defeatists. So we're saying, look look at all the sacrifices we are making, look at all the hardship we are so and and Mecca is large enough, powerful enough, prominent enough, and its allies to hardly feel the scratch we are inflicting upon them. But the main difference is that. You, in your struggle, have a relationship with Allah. If genuine and if real, it's a relationship that is not available to your enemy. That's a a source of inspiration and strength for Muslims throughout different periods of their history. And when they forget something as straightforward and as simple as this, is that when they've Perform miserably as they do these days. They um, yeah, are, anyway. So Inna anzalna ilayka al-kitaba bil-haqqi li nas bima araka Law wa la takun lil-kha'inina khaseema So this is now we have bestowed upon you uh we just Muhammad as and we've bestowed upon you from on high this divine writ setting forth the truth so that you may judge between people in accordance with what God has taught you. Bima'arak Allah was what Allah has, has uh, revealed to you, what Allah has taught you, what Allah has instructed you. Um, okay. Hence, do not contend with those who are false to their trust, but pray to God to forgive them. Behold God is much is indeed much forgiving a dispenser of grace Okay wa la takun lil kha'ineena khaseema wastaghfir Allah inna Allah kana ghafura rahima wa la tujadil allatheena yaghtanoona anfusahum inna Allah la yuhibbu man khawanan athima let me first deal with one five and then t- I'll take the, the series r- right after. Um, okay. In the midst of the challenges and difficulties that are confronting Muslims, and we find this, this sort of constantly a, a, a back and forth in Surat al-Nisa, the blowback in Medina itself among those who claim to have converted, or nominal converts, or even in some cases, as we will see a bit later people who had even converted and and um, i mean they they for all the indications are is that they were legitimate converts but they they struggled with their own weaknesses and their own willingness to sacrifice and what Some of the challenges that we've already talked about are like the group of people who said, Okay, we we remain Muslim, but we've gone back to Mecca. It's a challenge because they're they're effectively telling the Prophet um your insistence on The whole thing, the constitution of Medina, Ibai'ah, the Ansar, and so on, um, it is as if, although they don't come out and explicitly say it, but it's as if they're saying all of this is an exercise of discretionary judgment that is not binding upon us. And hence, we don't see anything wrong with being Muslim and going back and living in Mecca that's one challenge but the other challenges were like those who withdrew from Uhud who were saying why do we have, why can't we back down from military confrontations why are you taking a defiant position Let's okay. Let's just wait, sit, and wait, and see if they want if they come to us as invaders. Rather than, which is a, a you know, a classically reasonable thing to be said by cowards. The reasonability of cowards is that okay. Well, why don't we just pay attention, mind ourselves mind our own business, and, you know, wait. Maybe they won't come and invade us. Um, But not only that, the reforms, because you don't have just the external threats, but you have these reforms that are meeting with considerable resistance within Medinian society itself. Reforms, particularly, that have to do with financial rights of women, including inheritance, and has to do with orphans, which is a class of society that has traditionally been dispossessed of rights despite the fact that in arab societies there were a considerable number of orphans because of feuds and even just the, even travel and the number of people that would be lost in travel and things like that um, and the number of people that would die from taun from, from plagues and diseases and all types of reasons Also, resistance in terms of giving mawali. Mawali are people that don't come from prominent tribes themselves, but they're under the protection of a prominent tribe. So they're not native to society, but in order to exist in society, they, they become the client of a prominent tribe. And as we already encountered that among the prominent tribes of Arabia, they, wouldn't like, they didn't want to marry their daughters to, to Mawadi or to orphans for that matter. And the Prophet, Ali comes and changes these laws. And a lot of the pushback to this is complaining about, isn't it enough that we are having to sacrifice money isn't it enough that we are being asked to do, to give money to the poor give money to the war effort uh, to to it, it. on top of all of that we have to give all these groups of people their rights and as we will see the way that surah al nisa then moves so on from this is that coming and challenging the judgments of the prophet alayhi now the record here is fascinating because yeah you have some people like uh, uh, Ibn Ubayy, who you know so-called the head of the the, the hypocrites who um, come in and 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 defies the Prophet in an un- unintelligent ways in brass and rude and vulgar ways but there are people that didn't do their challenges weren't like Abdullah ibn Ubayy but their challenges were to question the wisdom and to say well how does that make any sense it's not that we're saying that this change shouldn't happen we're saying it shouldn't happen now too much is being asked and so the underscoring at this juncture, and we'll see what, what, what Surah deals with right after this, is that, as Muhammad Asad puts it, the divine writ, a kitab that this, these are judgments that have to do with al-haq, with truth. It is not a discretionary matter. It is not a matter of, um, this is about truth and principle. Um, There is a statement commenting Umar ibn al-Khattab, or at least in in some versions of the riwayah, is that he's asked about um, this ayah uh, after the death of the Prophet, alayhi And reportedly, his response is, لَيَقُولَنَّ أَحَدُكُمْ قَضَيْتُ بِمَا أَرَيَانِ اللَّهِ فَإِنَّ اللَّهِ لَمْ يَجْعَلْ ذَلِكِ إِلَّا لِنَبِيِّهِ Wallakin Lyaj Omar comes in and says After the death of the Prophet, don't none of you should say I have ruled according to what God has shown me and what God has told me, because that is only for his prophet all you can say is i am ruling according to my juhd, my ijtihad my my judgment and all and and this is as a matter of dhan as probability and not certitude it, that i mean it, i'm knowing how long it took for human thought to differentiate between the 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 judgment of the sacred and the judgment of the profane, uh, and the fact that this just occurs so seamlessly in the Islamic tradition so early on, is um, is noteworthy. Nevertheless, um, th- this, is, uh, th- this is this this ha- this has to do with epistemology and interpretation and and so on, but. The the foundational principle, which is not reflected in in Umar's statement attributed to Umar, is that there are issues of principle, of haqq, involved here. But then what follows from that, A number of people, especially those close to the Prophet alayhi were frustrated while there is a group that is frustrated by the reform projects. There is a group that is frustrated by the fact that the Prophet alayhi is not taking hostile actions against the critics and not silencing the critics, is not exiling them, is not executing them, is not arresting them. And we don't pause often at this, but it is noteworthy that Allah comes and tells the Prophet, takun lil So i they are. meaning the betrayal. Traitors. Um, what does Muhammad Asad translated us? As? This is uh, who are false to their trust. Yeah, okay, same thing. Um, are they traitors? They are. But this is not about you dedicating yourself to being their sworn enemy. Do not, Muhammad Asad just says, do not contend with them. Uh, Al-Khasim is, an enemy is called a khasm. Um, someone who is your opposite, or the opposite of who you are. That's where the, the, the word is derived from. Um, Chassim, it's it's as if saying, it's the point of upholding the truth, is not for you to turn your struggle for truth into personal animosities with individuals. It's like in our modern parlance to say, rise above it. And by saying that, it's also responded to the hardliners who are saying, um, now, this is 106, right? There is a debate here that has to do with language and, and grammar. And then I'll, I'm, I'm going to tell you some narratives. Muhammad Asad chooses the point of view that says, pray Allah to forgive them. So it's as if he reads it, وَاسْتَغْفِرْ lahum Allah. Others said, you, no, it shouldn't, it, that's not the meaning. Staghfirullah means, in all cases, you should always seek Allah's forgiveness. In other words, it's not that you're asking forgiveness for them, but you are in a state, because you are dealing with animosities and with hostilities. Your state of being and your consciousness should be one of consistent istighfar. Whenever we feel hostility, or enmity, or competition, or antagonism, you can never guarantee what sins, in fact, you fall in despite of yourself. And if you are wise, You would be in a constant state of istighfar. I don't agree with Muhammad Asad that it is saying, pray Allah to forgive them. I I don't think, although we know that when Abdullah ibn Ubayy died, the Prophet prayed in his funeral, which is quite amazing. I mean when you think about it that he a sworn enemy that gave him headaches throughout his life but um, but I, I don't I don't agree that that the Quranic text tells the Prophet ﷺ to pray for them it tells them rise above it don't make them the issue Okay, um. There is a narrative, and it, it is a, um, an example of how some I mean the the trad- narratives of tradition can arise from a real historical example, but ve- then sort of branch out to. Sp- ways that historical examples can be spinned for very different reasons uh, that are not historically defensible. Um, And here, 105, typically, the story that is said in the context of verse 105 uh, is the story of Ibn al-Ubayraq, So I'll start first with the version of this narrative that is false, that is not authentic. Reportedly, a man called Ibn al-Ubayrak stole, and remember, this is the, the fabricated one, the false one, stole the property of a um, of a Jew living in Medina. And the when the Jew accuses Ibn al-Ubayraq of stealing his property, the Prophet defends him and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes and says to the Prophet, don't defend, it, it was wrong of you to defend Ibn al Ubayraq because Ibn al Ubayraq is a, is a thief, It's uh, someone who committed treachery. And thus it says, <laughs> that it is saying, you know, so. Now come to the to the different versions of this incident, and you see how different it is. Um Ibn al Ubayraq again Ibn al Ubayrak steals property. However, he doesn't steal the property of a Jew. He steals property and accuses. defends himself by accusing a Jew of having committed the theft. Um, When Muslims start investigating the matter, it becomes clear that the Jew is innocent of the charges and that Ibn al-Ubayrak is guilty we have, it is reported in various sources that Ibn al-Ubayrak at this point, when it becomes clear that he's been, that all the, 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 the fingers are pointing towards him, um, he, takes, he, he makes a run for it, he escapes. First he escapes to Mecca, then he escapes to Sham, to Syria, and it is even said that along the he, that the reason he left Mecca is that because he committed another theft in Mecca, this time of course against Muslims. And Ibn Ubayraq, the reports say that he even um, eventually settles in in a hurrat Bani Salim, a, a, a tribe called Bani Salim. And that he irtadda an islam that he leaves Islam and goes back and, to worshipping, to being a polytheist. And in fact, that he prays he, that he continue to be, be a polytheist until he dies. The historical narrative of Ibn al-Ubayrak as a murtad is it it's reported widely, so it is. Um, all indicators are that in fact that that isn't in fact what happened, and that he stole something and attempted to accuse an innocent person of having committed the theft, and that he makes a run for it and eventually leaves Islam when he is about to be exposed, is again all the, the indicators is that that is, a, that is in fact what happens. How does that report come become into something that is pinned into a narrative that if anything it makes the Prophet look really bad? Someone commits a theft, and then the prophet defends him, and then Allah comes and says, "Don't defend treacherous people." Which, of course, made it to Islamophobic into Islamophobic literature. They've completely ignored the other part of Ibn al ubayraq as as Murtad and all of that stuff, but focused uh, honed in on the. This is a larger topic, but. there is a portion of hadith without a doubt that was circulated by people, narrators, who I think all evidence is that they were only nominally Muslim and that Part of justifying, and here again, the work of Farhan al-Maliki is very valuable. Um, Part of justifying the immorality of dictators and the immorality of people in power was to basically say, well, you know, if the prophet himself did things that were wrong, then certainly our rulers cannot be blamed. It is not an accident that you find that the, the people who are always involved in narrating versions, like the Prophet defending Ibn al Ubayraq, the, the narrators are always very close associates to corrupt power. And, you know, of course, if, if, if Islamophobes will always be able to come and, like, like hyenas, pick on these narratives. And as long as we don't have an honest discourse about our own tradition, that confronts you know the, 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 that some of the men of Bukhari and some of the men of Muslim w- had very suspicious associations of power we, we leave this tradition vulnerable to the efforts of uh, the, to the efforts of people like the Islamophobes okay now notice 107 this is actually it will go on to 114 okay um the story of ibn ubayraq by the way i've just so notice here um this is um yeah look at 112 well, whoever commits a fault or sin and then blames an innocent person throws the blame on an innocent person then they have then they withstand a great guilt and a flagrant sin. And those who said that this is about Ibn Ubayraq, this is the way that they, 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 they explain that Ibn Ubayraq committed the theft and then accused an innocent person. And then when he was about to expose, and then so they say, See, this is talking about the Ibn Ubayraq incident. Let's go on and then I'll come back to this point. Okay, so, I don't, I think, yes, the story of Ibn Ubayraq does fit, or some of the ayat seem to be addressing a situation like what transpired with Ibn Ubayraq. Accusing, committing a, some a crime, uh, trying to blame someone else, you know, then becoming a, a, a ultimately someone who makes run for all of that. But there are, I I don't think that th- these ayat were only revealed to address the historical incident of Ibn Ubayrak. There were a number of situations that and shall I explain the number of situations that these ayat we're addressing ok so وَلَا تُجَادِلْ عَنِ الَّذِينَ يَخْتَانُونَ أَنفُسَهُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ مَنْ كَانَ خَوَّانًا أَثِيمًا يَسْتَخْفُونَ مِنَ النَّاسِ وَلَا يَسْتَخْفُونَ مِنَ اللَّهُ وَهُوَ مَعْهُمْ إِذْ يُبَيِّتُونَ مَا لَا يرضى مِنَ الْقَوْلِ وكان الله الله بما يعملون محيطا ها انتم هؤلاء جادلتم عنهم في الحياة الدنيا فمن يجادل, فمن يجادل الله عنهم يوم فمن يجادل الله عنهم يوم القيامه اما يكون عليهم وكيلة ومن يعمل سوءا او يظلم نفسه ثم يستغفر الله يجد الله غفورا رحيما ومن يكسب اسما فانما يكسبه على نفسه وكان الله عليما حكيما ومن يكسب خطيئه او اسما ثم يرمي به بريئا فقد احتمل بهتانا واسما مبينا um, So this is, takes us all the way to 112 then 13. ولولا فضل الله عليك ورحمته الهمت طائفه منهم اي يضلوك وما يضلون الا انفسهم وما يضلونك من شيء وانزل الله عليك الكتاب والحكمة وعلمك ما لم تكن تعلم وكان فضل الله عليك عظيما لا خير في كثير من نجواهم إلا من أمر بصدقة أو معروف أو إصلاح بين الناس وما يفعل ذلك ابتغاء مرضات الله فسوف نؤتيه أجرا عظيمة This is all the way to 114. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So... Let's take the translation. Because it's a, a long stretch, and then put it in context. Okay. Um, where were we? Uh, so 107. Okay. Okay. Yet do not argue in behalf of those who are false to their own selves. Verily God does not love those who betray their trust and persist in sinful, in sinful ways. They would conceal their doings from men, but from God they cannot conceal them. For God, for God is with them wherever they devise. In the dark of night all manners of belief which God does not approve. The, the That, that whenever they are, whenever they're devising things that God does not approve of, God is with them. Um, and God in indeed encompasses with God's knowledge what whatever they do. Oh, you might well argue in their behalf in the life of this world, but who will argue on their behalf with God on the day of resurrection, Uh, or who will be their defender? Yet he who does evil or otherwise sins against himself and thereafter prays God to forgive him shall find God God much forgiving a dispenser of grace. And he who commits a sin commits it only to his own hurt or against himself. And God is indeed all-knowing and wise. But he who commits a fault or sin and then throws the blame on an innocent person burdens himself with the guilt and yet another flagrant sin. But for God's favor upon thee and God's grace, some of those who are false to themselves would indeed endeavor to lead you astray, yet none but themselves do they lead astray. Nor can they harm you in any way, since God has bestowed upon you from on high the divine writ and given you wisdom and has imparted upon you the knowledge of what you did not know, and God's favor upon you is tremendous indeed." Okay, well, let's say point 14 as well because it's still within the same thing. No good comes as a rule out of their secret confabulations save such that as are devoted to enjoining charity or equitable dealings or setting things to rights between people. And unto him who does this out of longing for God's goodly acceptance, we shall in time grant a mightly reward. Okay, so... You notice that this whole series of ayat that preceded, that come after, Allah underscores that the judgment of the Prophet is a judgment pursuant to revelation The, entire, the whole story of Ibn Ubayraq and those who said, well, th- this, these ayat re- re- have to do with the incident of Ibn Ubayraq is evidence of social tensions are, that are taking place that these ayat address. What are these social t- tensions? We already saw a part of it by saying that there are these critics and those who uh, advocate a hard line with these critics. And as we said in 105 and 106, that Allah tells the Prophet the point is not to turn them into sworn enemies and become distracted in a struggle of hostility and animosity with this group. However, this we normally in, in, in mo, modern Muslim parlance in particular, we we just say the hypocrites. But who are these people that we call the hypocrites? Many of them, in fact, were not followers of Abdullah ibn Ubay. They were not a group of the Abdullah ibn Ubay fan club. Many of them, the problem with them, it's like the incident of what will come later, Masjid, Masjid al durar is that they have become a group of whiners and complainers. They they when they are with the Prophet, والسلام, they don't express dissent. But behind the prophets back when they meet in their homes. And we know quite a few of these people. In other words, we have the names of quite a few. And it is very interesting because the there were critics, They, they there is a remarkable correlation between tribal affiliations and some of these critics. So in other words, the the people who were the uh the critics among the khasraj were very different than the group of critics among the aus and when i say very different meaning that the ausis the ausi critics would meet with one another and the ausi khasrajis would meet with one another the group of people that actually were from mecca and did the hijra uh but Started having second thoughts. They perform. They had their own clique. So, in other words, they were cliques. And these cliques would meet in their own social events. يستخفون من الناس ولا يستخفون من الله. And they did whatever they can to. To keep, it was not necessarily a conspiracy, but to hide from the group of people that they knew were solid supporters of the Prophet. And they were consistently voicing objections the reforms undertaken by the Prophet ﷺ, and at the same time refusing, so we know for as, as Surah An-Nisa itself will talk about in a, in a second, refusing to implement what they were being asked to do when it came to giving shares to especially orphans, to young people, that, um, or to people who didn't, um, the, in the Arab psyche, if, if you were not, if you could not take part in combat, then you were not entitled to a share of inheritance. And they insisted on not complying with the commands of the Quran and the orders of the Prophet. They also insisted on not allowing orphans under their control freedom to marry outside the family because once they marry outside the family, they they no longer control their wealth. Moreover, there were other things, like they were scandalized by... The the Prophet's precedent in receiving complaints by women and they were scandalized by the idea of the, the Quran comes and addresses these complaints by women. Because... I forgot the name of the of, of the guy. I should I, I, I should have written it down, but I didn't. Um, that jara That they that this has emboldened women over us. If if they are if if we have problems with you know what whether the problem is an improper marriage as we will see. Uh, where an uncle married his um, his uh, niece to someone and then the Prophet comes and invalidates the marriage because it wasn't, uh, and this isn't Surah al-Nusat will come because she didn't approve of the marriage or whether um, it, it is a, a, a occasion of zihar or whether it is a c- women complaining about um, uh, why don't they get a share of inheritance and so on this group was consistently, although having taken the shahada and more or less appearing for prayer in the masjid, although you know we, we have interesting stories about this as well, um, eventually they, they come up with the idea, well, why don't we build our own masjid where we can skip on prayers without anyone seeing us? Um, you know, so they, they actually, we have reports of them saying, uh, why didn't you, you know, we didn't see you in prayer. Oh, well, you know, we were praying in this, we, in our own private masallah, which is, you know, a very convenient, um, uh, a nice excuse. Anyway, so, while the Prophet, alayhi is told to rise above it, but at the same time, Allah is telling them none of what you do escapes Allah's attention. Allah sees you, knows your intentions, knows the type of uh, gossip and um, what is the word they're looking for? When you, when you undermine um you you undermine what what the state is trying to do uh, there is a word for it um, sabotage sabotage like the, the, the type of sabotage that your insistence on saying okay fine let them do it i'm not going to do it okay that the, the, what they talk about they know that what they talk about and, the, the, and if, if the, the proof that they know that what they talk about is, is, is what Allah does not approve of is that they do it in secret the 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 fact that they do it in secret is because they know that their gossip is haram. This is not the way that they should be talking about the Prophet ﷺ or the companions of the Prophet or the, the true believers. Some of it would be shockingly upsetting for we, we Sunni Muslims in particular have had the tendency of sort of sanitizing the tradition. But some of it was really offensive. I mean, the, the way that they would talk about the Prophet. Um, now, add to this problem is that in the same way, there were peop, hardline people that wanted a more hardline action against these folks, like obviously Omar ibn Khattab, who was a hardliner and most things. When it came to ostracizing these people, and it came to the, the, as we will see, the Prophet ﷺ would receive complaints from women that, okay, the Qur'an said that I have a share in inheritance. Well, such and such refuses to give me my share. So the Prophet ﷺ would tell them, as long as you are living in Medina, you don't have a choice, you must give them their share. And they would continue to be obstinate. I mean, they wouldn't say no. What they would, what they would often say is effective, like our modern Muslims say, "Insha'Allah." Say, "Sure, sure, okay, yeah." Well, you know, I just have to, you know, there's, there's, their money is involved with this trade right now, and I, I just have to figure out what share, what part is is theirs. And so, and they would make excuses, and. So came to the point that they would become criticized as you're not doing what the Prophet ﷺ is telling you. You're hypocrites. You're acting like hypocrites. But some of these people, many of these people actually, had tribal alliances. They, they were members of clans in Medina. And so People with strong records as Muslims and as believers would start defending them that oh no but they no they're well intentioned you know it just be it's not they're not bad they're just well intentioned and you know it is complicated and they're it is true the money of such and such and such is caught up in this you know trade and it's caught up. Well, you know, in other words, and this is this is 109, where it says, there are some of you who are defending them, making excuses for them. You're saying, it. it, it you, it's like a, you know, some of you want the hard line and some of you are, are lowering all the standards and saying, well, you know, you know, but they're still, they're good Muslims. They're, you know, they're... they're, they're Although they are failing in the ethical tests, the proof in, is in whether they are giving people their rights and they are not giving people their rights and yet you are defending them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sort of lays this bare, exposing us to ourselves. And says, think about it. Because if you are defending them in, in this life, are you willing to wage the same defense in the hereafter? Who is going to defend them in the hereafter? If you are willing to... Uh, stake your neck, put your neck out. That is sort of the, the, the test of true conscience. Who are you willing to be stuck with in the hereafter? I mean, put it differently. The, the Prophet ﷺ taught us that in the hereafter, you are with who you love. Okay, so if you are defending the moral status of a people or a person or a group of people, are you willing to have their position in the hereafter? A lot of times, people give an answer to this that has far more to do with their ego than the truth of their feelings. But if they truly believe in the hereafter, it's a, it's a, it's a fair question. Who do you want? What status do you want to end up being stuck with? Okay. So... Now, here's the truly remarkable remarkable part. Some said that, as I said, one twelve about doing something and then accusing a, a an innocent person that this is about the story of uh, abul Ab Ubayraq. But much when you when you look at the the many of the incidents unfolding at the time of Surah Al-Nisa, you find something else that is truly remarkable. Uh, remarkable to me, please, is that many of these people, their excuses for not complying with the reforms or the 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 uh, system of rights that Surah al-Nisa puts into effect, they they often blamed not just circumstance, but blamed their failures on others. and let me put this i mean in, 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 in more concrete examples so they would say for instance and we have and there is a story that I'll will we'll come to in a second there was one of them for instance who had an orphan who apparently she was not attractive but not only she was not attractive but she was also blind and he refused to give her her inheritance. No one wanted to marry her, but he would use the excuse that she's living with me as an excuse for not giving her her inheritance. And the fact that because she's blind and not marriageable, as an excuse for, well, no one is going to inherit her, so why give her her money? Why don't I keep her money and I'm taking care of her? And when ultimately the Prophet ﷺ confronts him about it, he yells back, how could it be that we come to a point where blind, unmarriageable women are entitled to an inheritance? he the blame for not giving her inher- inherit- her inheritance he's laying it on her because she's not attractive or not marriageable and blind we have many other stories like this so stories where people would refuse to give a woman her dowry she gets married she would receive a dowry. The father would keep the dowry or the uncle would keep the dowry and refuse to hand it over to her. And, when, and then they would say, well, it is because her husband is a man of ill repute and I'm worried if I give her the money that her husband will take, it, take the money from her. We have several, we have a story like that. We have another story where the, it is not the husband who is accused of, man of being a man of ill repute, but the woman herself is, this is an uncle, and he accuses the niece, he says that the niece is a woman of vanities. She spends her money on vanities. And if I give her the money, she will waste it on vain things. In one version of this narrative, that she she likes music. I'm not sure, you know, what did the you know is she gonna spend it on you know singer? I don't know. Um, there is there is several. There is one where a man is told, again, confronted about not giving several members of his family their share of their inheritance. And he says that the reason I didn't give them the share of inheritance is because my wakil, his agent for his trade, um, who had traveled with his, his uh, merchandise to Hashem, um is holding my money and not giving me an accounting and he was being he was lying I, I mean the 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 agent who would was not muslim by the way and did not live in medina um so and here we we get then One twelve that who who as man yaksab khatiya, then mayarmi bihi baria. In a different light, right? If you are blaming others for your moral failures, look at it. some are de, are defending the weakness of their friends and making excuses for them. Some are being morally wishy-washy or morally cowardly in saying, well, you know, it's not their fault, it's the fault of this, it's the fault of that. This is what Surah Nisa that's why it is is a, a surah that lays you bare, that sort of rips the bandit off. Then we come to one thirteen that the pressure they are placing the 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 politics of defiance and obstruction is strong enough and the group of apologists those who are saying you know they're, they're, they're recent converts to Islam This is we need them for the war effort if you demand that they give orphans their rights, give children their rights, give uh, widows their rights, and the problem of widows was, by the way, a very big problem, uh, that they give, um, a, a, you know, share of inheritance, we're going to lose them, you have to understand, there's certain, but when... وَلَوْ لَا فَضْلُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُ وَرَحْمَتُهُ لَهَمَّ الطَّائِفَةٌ مِّنْهُمْ أَيُّ دُلُّوكَ مَا يُدُلُّونَ إِلَّا أَنفُسَهُمْ That you came close to actually being led astray. Here that led astray meaning what? Meaning saying, yes, I understand. It's okay i understand there are a number of reports in this context they're, and they're all very closely related a lot of times it's the names that we have we have a, a um variances and on who is precisely was involved but that the prophet ali sallam reportedly um well the Prophet always says to, to to pe to several a number of people as they come to him and say Hold off until I consider the matter. Hatta Amr, right? Hold off until I consider the matter. And we have these reports that although I mean I have my 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 certain reservations but okay, not to complicate things. That the Prophet ﷺ, is tempted in order to appease some of the Ansar who are very strenuously defending their relatives as to why they have not why they, they, they have not implemented what is being demanded of them, is tempted to say. Okay, it's okay. Fine. Let us wait on them, to put it off. And that this is what one thirteen comes is that Allah not that He does that, but that He is tempted to do it. And that then, Allah is saying that if it hasn't been for Allah strengthening you, you would have indeed been tempted to accommodate them. But this is about al-Haqq, this is about the truth. And yes, it is very difficult, you're leading an external war, you're leading an internal war, people are being commanded to do what they are not accustomed to do and not always willing to do. but this is about a cause. And therefore, in this pursuit, which again doesn't surprise us, political expedience and accommodations for pragmatic politics has its, has its serious limits. Okay. that and, and, and here again it is that holding steadfast to a program of 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 moral uprightness to an ethical um, program is the essence of receiving the divine writ and kitab, what hikmah and wisdom. That to per to persevere by principle and implement the principle. It is the essence of what revelation and wisdom is about. Okay. Then we come to one fourteen. بين ومن يفعل Okay. So one a question that posed itself in different forms to the Prophet, alayhi is, and this is one of the funniest excuses that you, you get from some of the reports, is, well, not funny, but it's actually real life, is, wait, so what do we talk about? If we are, if we can't talk about It's as if I mean they don't say put it this way, but when I read one of these people, same people who are accused of uh, resisting, going and tell and complaining to uh, when Abu Bakr confronts one of them and he says, you know? What you don't want us to? You don't want us to gather in our nadi in our in our um, forums? And what do we talk about?" It's as if saying, if we can't whine and complain and talk about um, you know, all the things that are wrong, what the heck do you want us to talk about? And... It's like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes and says, okay, all this talk, you want to know what moral talk is about. Flip it on its head. What moral talk is about. Man amara bi salaka. Acting in charity. al ma'roof. Or doing good. Aw islah al nas. Or instead of driving people apart creating enmity and animosity between people, talking about what does exactly the opposite. I mean, can can you actually, if you pause at this, and you think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, check yourself, because this is, again, historical circumstance demonstrating a timeless moral principle. What is the timeless moral principle? Check yourself. Are you talking about a sadaqah? Doing something charitable? Are you talking about imaruf? Something that is good? Immoral good that you are espousing? Are you talking about islah nas? Something that would remove hostility and enmity and bring people together? Because if you are not, then you should be worried. Am I talking about then, do I fall into that caveat of La kathirin that in fact what I'm talking about falls into something immoral? This is the Qur'anic training. Can you imagine if we are raised from the time we are children that taught to check yourself because Allah is warning us, are you serving an affirmative good in your conversation? It is not, that doesn't mean that for sure you are, then your conversation is immoral. But the the danger is that it is immoral. That's why it says, in a lot of what they talk about. Not in all what they talk about, but in a lot of what they talk about. Again, historical incidentals in service of timeless moral principles. Okay. And then 115, وَمَنْ يُشَاقِقٍ الرَّسُولَ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا تَبَيَّنَ لَهُ الْهُدَى وَيَتَّبِعْ غَيْرَ سَبِيلِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ نُوَلِّهِ مَا تَوَلَّى وَنُصْلِهِ جَهَنَّمْ وَسَاءَتْ مَصِيرَهُ Muhammad cuts himself from the apostle and follows a path other than that of the believers. Him shall we... Leave unto that which he himself has chosen, okay. And shall cause him to endure hell and how evil, uh, and how evil journeys end, okay. Um, a couple of points here. Notice a lot of, especially m- more contemporary Muslims think that 115 is talking about unbelievers. It's not. It's talking about, as the entire context of the discourse, it is talking about those who have received the guidance. In fact, they have become Muslims. But their Islam is but a label and an excuse to, in reality, not achieve what is Islam in any real sense. You and historically, again, it is these people who had converted to Islam, but they are. This, they are deviating yushaq or rasul meaning n- not just split apart from rasul, but they have become the opposite of what the Prophet wants. And they have followed a path other than what the, the believers that they know are the real believers want. So those who, Islam for them, it's like a, a um, it becomes a rubber stamp excuse for living an amoral life that has nothing to do with the type of moral existence demanded by Islam and the label of islam itself becomes their excuse well i'm a good muslim so you know don't bother me with anything else i'm fine the way i am now the fact that their consequence is, is that allah promises these individuals the illegitimate Muslims. The Muslims who are fancy who fancy themselves Muslims by identity and by name, um, but not by moral course and commitment and sacrifice. They they promised Hellfire, okay. But notice, this expression, I've always been, always paused at this expression. Nuhallihi ma Muhammad Azad translates it as, what again, um, what number was this? Um, that we will leave, we leave unto that which he himself has chosen. Tawliyat <laughs> is what you ally yourself to, right? What you commit yourself to what you become attached and wedded to. That's tawliyat al So Allah tells you, for these people, we indeed let them be attached to, wedded to, committed to, what they have chosen to be allied to and wedded to and committed to. And what is it that they have allied themselves to? Remember that if you fill your space with dhikr, if Allah is in your space, if you understand that being with Allah Means a series of moral commitments that will often require great struggle and great sacrifice, but and a conscientiousness against the apologetics of the self and the excuses made for the self. what ultimately they've wedded themselves to and what they've allied themselves to is their egos. And it's Allah is like saying, you want, you're, you have associated partners with Allah. What is it that you've associated partners with? Your true God is not God. Yeah, you're, you're officially Muslim. But your true God is yourself. That is ultimately your dispositive, absolute, real frame of reference. It is not al-kitab wal-hikmah, and notice, al-kitab wal-hikmah. It is not the divine writ, as Muhammad Asad puts it, and wisdom, wisdom is everything that is encompassed by rational knowledge, including logic, including reasonableness, and so on. It is not revelation and reason, in other words, but it is nothing more than your own impulses. Your revelation is... Inferior to, and in service to, your impulses, and so is your reason. Your ego tells you what you want, and then you use your reason to defend what you want. And this is exactly the whole state of the 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 um, the whiners and complainers and the backbiters, and at the time of the prophet, is that. They're using all types of arguments about why what the Prophet is doing can't work. But it is, God is subservient to their whim, and so is their reason. And so this expression, it's so profoundly simple and straightforward but terrifying. It's like saying, instead of saying that that Allah abandons you to yourself. That it's like, okay, fine, there you go. Good luck. You, you know it, Your fate in the hereafter but before in your course of getting to the hereafter, it doesn't sound that pleasant either because you just go from folds of darkness and confusion and doubt and from, from one state to another. And it's all what you've... the bed that you made for yourself. What time is it? Okay, let's take a three-minute break. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. hadith uh, from the prophet rasulullah about 114 la khayra fi which uh, this, uh, 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 warrant's reflection that when the the prophet rasulullah um Says, that I'll i tell you a good i a higher degree than will be a good one wa ifsadu wa ifsadu dhat al-bayn al al okay so that islah al-bayn is to strive to bring harmony and to 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 alleviate the causes of discord among people that that the 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 one of the worst moral failures a, a a fatal moral failure is to spread enmity and hostility between people um for a variety of reasons the, the I think this hadith is is talking partly in the context because of the context of the hadith itself it's talking about the najwa and not necessarily the act of sadaqah or the act of salah or the act of siyam but that in in it, it's one thing to tell people to pray, to tell people to fast, to tell people to pay sadaqah, which is good, but to actively also then through your discourse, uh, instead of, which is is what by our innate nature, uh, we find entertaining is to uh, speak about things that drive people apart. Uh, instead of bring them to, bringing them together. Okay. Let's move on. So, of course, um, 116. In Allah, I offer you a shrug, I offer you a shrug, I offer you إي يَدْعُونَ مِنْ دُونِهِ إِلَّا إِنَاثًا وَيُؤْيَدُونَ إِلَّا شَيْطَانًا مَرِيدًا لَعَنَ اللَّهُ لَعَنَهُ اللَّهُ وَقَالَ لَتَأْخِذَنَّ مِنْ عِبَادِكَ نَصِيبًا مَفْرُوضًا وَلُضِلِّنَّهُمْ وَلَأُمَنِّيَنَّهُمْ وَلَأُمِرُنَّهُمْ ولأمر ولا وَلَأَمُرَنَّهُمْ فَلِيُبَتِّكُنَّ أَذَانَ الْأَنْعَامِ وَلَأُمِرَنَّهُمْ أَمْرًا فليغيرون خلق الله الشيطان وليا when I have a hard time pronouncing things this is the time when I, 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 my hearing affects me the most. يعدهم وما يعدهم الشيطان okay so Continuing on, the the ayah 116 is probably, again, a very famous ayah that you hear quoted a lot of times out of context. Um, But shirk in all its forms. When Allah tells us that Sins that you comm- that one commits, possibly, out of um, weakness, out of omission. Um, that they're qualitatively different than accepting for yourself to be. To effectively have a deity other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that Allah is warning us is an unforgivable sin. It is of a different quality. Now Allah is 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 ultimately just and Allah knows your best efforts and Allah knows your intentions. So, you know, don't, this is not a, a, a game of, yeah, but, you know, how about the situation that I do my best in this and do my best in that? And it is not talking, it, Allah knows if you are truly doing your best. If you, if, if you, in your heart, you truly want to have only Allah as the, the single deity, that you are beholding to. Allah knows if this is truly what is in your heart. And Allah is just. But if you are oblivious to this and you accept a deity for yourself other than God, that is the absolute moral failure. And... It addresses of course the, the shirk in terms of polytheists that inatha those who are worshiping deities other than God, meaning the idols which are often were feminine idols. Um, but worshipping anything other than God is in effect worshipping Shaitan Shaitan is sworn. Shaitan is sworn to have human beings worship anything other than God. Whether that anything is um, an idol with a whole host of mythology attached to it, or whether that effective deity is the dollar, or money, or gold, or whether it's the ego. It's like Allah is the light, and as you veer away from the light, you are Drifting towards darkness. All that darkness surrounding the light is shaitani. And the reminder that shay- shaitan uh, has sworn that. Allah, the shaitan has sworn to um, how do, how does Muhammad does it translate it if I stumble over my words 118 um, the shaitan has said verily of thy servants I shall most certainly take my due share okay simple enough and shall lead them astray and fill them with vain desires and I shall command them and they will cut off the ears of cattle, in I, and I shall command them, and they will corrupt God's creation. Okay. So that, that's Muhammad's Asad's translation. So that Allah will take is, a, a due share. Nasiban mafruda. It's as if is, I thought of saying, I I I know that there is going to be is, always is is. is, is all of them submitting to you is an impossibility. Um okay and lead them astray while while wala So umanya nahum, I will give them vain hopes and desires. That's okay, so you but to and I am First, let's posit this, that um, polytheists among their practice was that they would commit a certain share of whatever cattle they trade to specific idols. And they mark the cattle that have been committed to the idols by cutting off or by marking the ears often they would clip a part of the ear or they would split the ear um so okay so that's the context Here, the, the best thing, uh, the, the way that theologians would often put it is, Allah created everything for a purpose and for a goodly purpose. Anything that Allah has created Lifadilah Faustina bihi fi Razila that then is used for Irazilah something sinful and immoral. Fahua Tagyurun Likhalkilla. This is what I I think this is what Abu Hayyan says in his tafsir. We understand the clipping or the cutting of the ears of cattle, which is a, a, a classic polytheistic practice and a common, by the way, uh, practice in uh, among idol worshippers in pre-Islamic times. Very widespread practice, but the very idea of تغيير it is. You know, some people have understood it as any change in what Allah has created, which, of course, doesn't make a lot of sense because we process natural elements for medicinal purposes all the time. We process natural elements in industry all the time. So, تغيير خلق it doesn't get at the moral heart of the issue. And that's why I think, that's why I like, I believe it's Abu Hayyan who said it, that if you take something and you use it, you alter its purpose from ifadila to irazila, from a good moral purpose to an immoral purpose, then you have altered Allah's creation. And this then becomes all-encompassing. Because even a, a, a knife, I can use a knife for something good, and I can use a knife for something immoral. Um... There's, There are a couple of other things that we probably we should, uh, should mention here, too. that The the cutting of the ears of carols were Baha'ir was and they used to have different titles for them. Um, but also, a lot of Muslim scholars commentated on the practice of al uh, or castration. And... Be, in this they often cite these ayat in condemning the very wide practice of khusyan and for me it it it's noteworthy because in pre-modern legal systems the fairest condemnation of castration, an illegal system, that I found was in the Islamic legal system. Castration was so widespread, so widely practiced, that no legal system before, and even the Islamic legal system, by the way, was not able to put an end to the practice. Although Islamic law, you'll find jurists, without exception, as far as I know, say al-ikhsa haram that castration is haram and all of that. The the it was so widespread and it was so common for people to to castrate slaves, and the reason that they, they castrated slaves was that they, well there was a, okay, one purpose that was really. Um, and that is, to, they they wanted um, singers that would have very, um, change the nature of their voice. And so if they castrate the slaves early enough, they could affect their vocal cords. But the, the other purpose, and the more common purpose, was that if they, to have slaves served in their households and not have to worry about... Uh, them intermingling with the women of the house. And women of the house not having to wear their veil before the the slaves and not having to cover themselves before their slaves and so on. So um, castrated slaves were more expensive than non-castrated slaves. But even Islamic law wasn't able to put an end to the practice, although, of course, it's noteworthy that Uh, the first legal system to prohibit castration was Islamic law. The other, again, a practice that Islamic law was not able to put an end to, although it's it's very widely uh, condemned, is the washm. And Shah is more complicated, but Washm in particular. And that is where the, the, among a lot of um, societies throughout Africa, throughout Arabia, throughout Europe for most of its history, um, was effectively like what we do in tat- with tattoos today, to, to mark the body to communicate a variety of things to communicate marital status to communicate ownership to communicate social uh, social status class status tribal affiliation and i i think and this is this is my own interpretation where i think that the reason that um there was such a, a a vehement condemnation of the practices of washm is because it, it stratified and it marked human beings in ways that are, were inconsistent with the idea that human beings are Um. People would be you, you would you would i mean it it was really and when you look at the anthropology of of practices of body markings um, it really contributed to uh, to systems of tribalism and clannish politics and uh, there were markings for a freed person, markings for a a slave, and then you know you would you would you would always look at the markings to decide how you should behave towards a person. This is an example I think where the incidentals can teach us a lot about morality because we can ask the questions of what ways do we mark human beings today so that it affects the way we deal with them socially? So for instance, and this is again, Allahu but this is my own, I think when even passports and ID cards becomes a way of differentiating moral treatment of human beings, they become problematic, although you're not marking the skin, but you're marking the human being. Okay. About um, 116, that Allah does not forgive shirk, Uh, there is a narrative that the 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 narratives in, in all the diversions it's, it's the shaykh is not remain is not mentioned or is not named but it simply says that a shaykh jaa shaykh la rasul wasallam سيدي نبي الله إني شيخ متهتك في الذنوب إلا أني لم أشرك بالله شيئا منذ عرفته وأمنت به ولم أتخذ من دونه وليا ولم أواقع المعاصي جرأة على الله وما توحمت طرفة عين أني أعجز الله هرب وإني لنادم تائم مستغفر this is what I, I remember. I don't remember how... The the, the the There are a couple more sentences that I don't remember. That a um, a man comes to the Prophet, alayhi wa sallam, and says, an older man, and he says that, that I am a, a man who's been plagued by sin. I've committed a lot of sins. However, I, I've never since believing i've never associated partners with allah and i've never committed a sin in in jura in in open defiance to god but out of weakness and i never believed that somehow i i will escape or not that i will that i will elude god or that i will escape uh, from God, um, and that my general attitude, my attitude towards my sins is that I re- regret them, despite my weakness and inability to stop them. And the Prophet ﷺ tell, tells them basically, I, I don't remember exactly what he, the, the exact words, but he tells them that not to worry, that that Allah الرحيم, that Allah is most forgiving. Um, I mean if which goes back to the point that I was making that if it's Allah knows your intentions and the statement about shirk is not telling you that uh, if you succumb to your ego then you are a mushrik and you're lost but it is your gener- what is your attitude towards your weakness even before your ego or any other master other than god um what i uh, did we stop at now yeah, We just said 116 to
0: 119
1: okay um so there's one one tw- uh, yeah Next, Halak, inshallah, we'll start with 123, because from 119 to 123, or 122, uh, there's um, there's nothing for me to say. It's, the meaning is plain. Um, so, 123, we'll start with 123. Before we disband, uh, I, I just remembered, Rami, uh, during the breaks, made a, a really um, good point that when the um that the, the when it came to the issue of prayer and um and uh, uh, rules for prayer and and then there are all these sort of uh, uh special accommodations for exceptional circumstance and for Conditions of fear and conditions of anxiety, and so on. And then, right after that, it it talks about the rights of human beings, the the reforms, the the entitlements that people were due, and the fact that those who were refusing to to give people their rights and their dues, uh, it basically comes and says, it, "No excuses." You, All your excuses are invalid. And that this correlates very much an asul al-fiqh to hukukullah, the rights of God versus the rights of people. That when it comes to the rights of God, exigent circumstances are accommodated. When it comes to the rights of people, we are far less willing to recognize exigent circumstance because... and and this again it 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 validates my my uh, the people who i believe that the 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 invention of the field of usul fiqh was deeply saturated by quranic ethics i mean these are people who who basically absorbed the quran and then to the best of their ability within the systems of knowledge at their time they tried to give effect to the ethics of the Quran through a science of jurisprudence. Um, but I, anyway, I thought it was a really interesting point, so I thought I should share it. Okay. So we, we, are at, we stopped at 23.3. We, we want to come to do the honors of closure? Close the proceedings?
0: Okay. Alhamdulillah. Thank you, as always, for... <coughs> An amazing session. Um, just you know, digging deeper into uh, so many of the themes. Um, you know, clearly in terms of highlights, the idea of the um, external and internal disempowerment, and asking yourself if you're complicit, complicit in your own disempowerment or your own oppression, um, and. Addressing this issue of like how people so much so in, in especially in our modern times are so focused on the technical detail and then lose sight of the bigger picture. So um, understanding like when when Nisa is giving us examples, um, you know, and getting to the verses about even like, um, OK, here's the microdynamic when you are at war and you're trying to pray. You know, you can take turns praying um, you know, hold your weapons if you need to, um, you know, it would be so, we know so many situations where people would tend to default to the technical rules. Um, but the idea of like looking at these verses and understanding that God is telling you, okay, you know, here's how you handle it, but be smart, use your common sense. Um, this is not about losing yourself in some dogmatic approach to adhering to, you know, the technical details. Um, you're, you're serving a cause. There's a larger point to this. Don't throw out all the technical details. So it's not like, okay, now you're in hardship, so now just don't pray at all. But, you know, to, to accommodate and, and, you know, again, use your, your your reason and your intellect, which is always so, so liberating. And then when things, you know, and then aside from all of that, remember God always, whether you're standing, sitting, laying down, when things return to normal, go back to prayer as normal, it's such a beautiful, like, display of just the you know the range and the complexity with which God is expecting us to operate, um, and um, it was beautiful when you were telling us, you know, this the, the idea of the prist- pristine state of of iman is when you are feeling tranquility and serenity and feeling really fulfilled with the remembrance of God. And we know from what we've been learning is that this road, if, if you decide that you're going to migrate to the path of God, that it is going to be a lonely and very difficult path. But the idea that even this loneliness can can become a source of, of pleasure if you know that you're in the company of God and that God is with you and that the ease comes with God despite the difficulty of the loneliness um, and and the difficulty. Um and then the, the verse 104 and reminding you that in your jihad, you have what, what others don't, what your enemies don't, which is, you know, that you have Allah with you. Um, so, and then just, you know, it was really so valuable to go through all the different variations of resistance, um, the human resistance to what the Prophet is telling us, what God is telling us, what the Quran is directing us to do and all the different ways that human beings can come up with justifications for not um, doing what's right Um, and just you know like these are just examples that are so powerful we can think of people today that you know Muslims who are Muslims by label but not necessarily by action and all the different justifications for why they're not doing what what you know we all know is is the right thing even though it's more difficult Um, and being reminded that this is, you know, a message of truth and principle and that's, that's what should be driving, um, your action. Um, verse 106 about always being, um, in a state of forgiveness as a matter of, of pattern and practice, um, being reminded to sort of rise above, um, these you know all of these things that that probably that frustrated the the prophet about people not wanting to do what they should be doing and then on the other side of things people being frustrated that that the prophet peace be upon him was not taking a more vigilant stand and again uh, underscored the whole idea of that balance you know we're not here to make enemies we're here to follow the path of truth and it's it's like that navigating that that middle part um, that ultimately, Allah knows the truth of what people are doing and saying. You know, the truth of their actions and their intentions. Um, and then asking yourself, um, you know, how, who do you want to be allied with? You know, you're defending these people now that you know making excuses for you know maybe your relatives or all the reasons why they sh- you know should be okay that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. But when it comes down to it, you know, uh, as you said, the Prophet told us you will be with who you love and you know what do you want your status to be in the hereafter are you going to be defending these people in the hereafter in the same way that you're defending these people right now um, and even you know like the, the typical um, thing that people do of blaming others as an excuse for not doing what they should be doing what the, com- the what the Quran commands so ultimately you know the bigger p- picture message is that you know these are all moral failures when you are resisting what you should be doing you're being wishy-washy you're defending um, or appeasing what you know people are are trying to get out of doing and that there should be no accommodation for political pragmatism or appeasement and that this is about holding steadfast to a moral program and a cause um, and and it's a cause of wisdom and revelation um, and very powerful the part where God is saying you know well what what should we talk about like don't you know most of what this chatter behind behind the prophet's back is not good but what should we be talking about well you should check yourself you should be um, talking about um, acting in charity doing good bringing people together um, removing enmity enmity um, among people and then ultimately asking, you know, what are you attached to or wedded to or allied to? Is it God or your ego or something else? Um, it comes down to, um, you know, are you committed to struggle and sacrifice or are you about excuses and apologetics? Um, and the very scary idea that, you know, when you are even Muslim by label, but you're choosing a very different path than the path of the Prophet Muhammad, then Allah could leave you um, to that path, or basically abandon you to yourself. Um, so, you know, the question of are you pursuing reason and revelation, or are you pursue, pursuing your impulses and using reason to defend whatever it is that you want? So, these are such, um, you know, powerful questions again to um, just underscore all the same themes you've been talking about truth, Allah knows what's within you, and, you know, um, choosing the path despite the difficulty and the challenges, and so much more, of course. But thank you so much, this has been incredible.
1: Brian, thank you for the books, I'm so (laughs) grateful.
0: Thank you everybody for-
1: Brian sent me books, anyone that sends me books becomes my hero for for the rest of life.
0: He didn't even just send them, he brought them from overseas, right? And then sent them to you. Here, so that's that's like extra. That That's definitely that's like extra. He hauled it in yeah. his luggage, so alhamdulillah, extra blessings. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for being with us and have a wonderful week. We're so excited um, to and look forward to, to next week, inshallah. Actually, so we'll inshallah. have two, two events, inshallah, next week. Uh, the Halak, oh no, three okay, so khutbah Friday, halakha um, Saturday, and then inshallah, the um, QA event on Sunday, inshallah. So have a wonderful week, and we'll see you soon, inshallah.